Hey there, ADHD Rewired listeners. I know this is crazy, but this episode came out one day early or ahead of schedule. The reason? So right now it is the release date, Monday, August 29th. The registration for the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group ends on Wednesday, August 31st. If you've been thinking about this, if you've been planning on joining and you just haven't taken action, go right away. Go to coachingrewired.com and schedule that registration call with me pronto. Other thing, um, Monday, if you're catching this early enough on Monday, we're doing a live Q&A webinar. Register at erictivers.com slash events. The link will be in the show notes. And you will also see at ADHDrewired.com, I just created a brand new video series, 125 Strategies to Get Your ADHD Rewired. I go through and show you 125 strategies that I use to better my ADHD. It's on the website. It's at ADHDrewired.com. Enjoy. Talk to you soon. We'll be back to Tuesday next week. To live every day and to know that there's still a lot of life out there, that that a later life diagnosis or, you know, just continuing struggles in midlife doesn't mean life's over. And just to celebrate the positive bits every day. ADHD Rewired Episode 131. This is the show designed for those of us with really good intentions, but a slightly wandering attention. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and speaker. The website is ADHDrewired.com. We know that starting is the hardest part, so let's get started. But first, let me tell you about this. If you want to grow beyond the podcast, on the podcast, you hear a lot of great ideas and you get to connect on the listening end with people. If you want to go beyond that and you have a desire to connect with people who share your same struggles and you want to put those great ideas in place in a way where you're going to have the most success, then sign up for the coaching group because it'll totally change your life. It'll move you forward and it's absolutely worth it. If you struggle with your ADHD and you're looking for something that'll help you with that, this will be that for you. It was that for me and it helped me address my underlying issues, not just what I thought my issues were at face value. This might be able to provide that transformation for you too. I joined the group because I have tried a lot of other things and nothing was really getting at what I wanted. I really wanted to just get myself more organized and I did, but I also am learning to accept myself and go a little easier on myself about things. That just has made a huge difference. From the group, I have realized that what's going on in my head is not just me. I'm not the only one completely helped me pivot and give myself a a new direction in order to make it so that way I could be successful. And that's completely given me a whole new level of motivation. I really did have a pivotal change in my perspective. It's kind of mind-blowing, but it has been a really amazing experience. It stretched me like nothing else. I gained a lot of um, knowledge. I got a lot of great skills out of it. I really love your feedback whenever you give it to us. This has given me strength and renewed hope and confidence. And I think it's absolutely the personal thing, the personal connections we've made, that we've learned about ourselves and the skills that we had. And 
really making that next series of steps really do seem possible. We can improve. Uh, I joined the group because I don't think I've ever been able to finish things. I've gotten more done in the last 10 weeks than I expected to get done all summer. I've made so much more progress than I've ever been able to do and I can see success this time. If you are thinking about joining this group but are afraid it's going to be another ADHD, oh, I started something new impulsively and it did nothing, don't be afraid. We're at the end of the group and we're all still here. We all love it. Would we even do it again? It'll totally change your life. It'll move you forward. It's absolutely worth it. I don't know if you like those promos as much as I do, but this is the last time you're going to hear one of these extended promos for quite some time. This is your last chance to join this fall's ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. The next session probably won't be until 2017. Registration ends Wednesday, and there's only a few spots left. Go now. Go to coachingrewired.com. See you there. everybody, before we get started with the interview, I just want you to know that there were a few audio issues in just the first few minutes of the episode, and I am fighting against my perfectionism, so I'm not going to re-record those first few minutes. Just so you know that the funkiness in the audio clears up at about, I think, about four or five minutes in. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. I am happy to welcome to the ADHD Rewired Virtual Studios, Donna Barry. Donna has a PhD in lifespan developmental psychology and has worked for years as a data geek, doing work at, as a statistician, an epidemiologist in public health, education, and cancer research. Donna is now reinventing herself, integrating her personal experience, professional background, and love for arts and crafts to help others with ADHD find meaning, joy, and the pursuit of their creative endeavors. Today, Donna is achieving one of her goals that she set for herself almost two years ago, I think it was, when she was a member of the very first ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group, and that goal is to be a guest on this show. Donna, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Eric. How are you? Great to talk with you. Absolutely. It's been sort of a, an interesting uh, go of things as we've been trying to get you on the show. I think we've had to reschedule it like two or three times because of audio issues, but I think that we're going to be A-OK today. I think we've got it. So you get quite the background. You're a highly educated person. So I remember when we were um, during that first group and I was trying to figure out how to do the kind of accountability partnership matchup. And I was, you know, sharing my woes of spreadsheets and you're like, I love spreadsheets. Let me do it. And I eagerly said, okay. So thank you for that. Cause that was great. Let's, ta- let's start with two years ago, you joined the, the first uh, coaching group. Why did you join that group? Oh, boy. Well, let me take you back a little further than that. I retired in 2001 to take care of my mom. No, 2002. I had been on soft money because I'd moved home to take care of mom. She had dementia. After that, all the soft money, you know, her government programs dried up. I, at the time, was a data manager on No Child Left Behind in Rhode Island. And so I went into... I think you and I talked earlier about this or some other time about me feeling like Rip Van Winkle and the ADD gremlins got a hold of me 
and they really kind of took over. And after a decade, so what was that, 2014, when you and I met online and probably um, in passing at ADA, my brain was really a mess. You know, I like the less you do, the less you can do. And so I was in the midst of, you know, getting ready to move and just trying to figure out how to keep my ADD from really just taking over the rest of my life. What were some of the things that were going on uh, in that, at that point in your life? Well, nothing. That was the problem. You know, it, it was like I was spending my whole day doing, you know, what, what's that four quadrant thing? It's like it was all quadrant four. You the, know? Not important, not and urgent. Exactly. You know, chasing lost dogs a half a continent away. And, you know, I was trying to be helpful, but I was sort of like the border collie without a job. I would make work, but it wasn't always really productive, effective, meaningful, you know, nothing I was passionate about. And so during the course of the group, uh, one of your, your goals was, well, you had to, you had to move, right? And you were trying to sell your home and you're trying to buy a home. Um, and you started the group, um, not having sold your home yet and nor have you bought a home. Is that right? What happened is we were, we owned the home where that I grew up in and we were just moving to that one. We, at one point in the last six years, we had three different places. Not like we're like super rich, but my husband got transferred and that literally they had us transferred just when the real estate market tanked. And so we had that house in Vermont and then we got a new house and whatever, long story short, we were trying to get down to just one house. And so we've moved back into the house that I grew up in, which we now own. We sold the one in New Jersey. But what I was trying to do when the group started was get the house ready in New Jersey so we could sell it. And I had too much stuff. And I still have too much stuff. But boy, you know, working it through with that group, I don't know that I would have ever gotten that house organized without it, really. You know, it's just the talking about the, the different techniques every week, and especially having the accountability, coming back to the group on a daily basis. I think at that point you were probably meeting four or five days a week. I frankly, think you I don't were. Else. That's <laughs> <laughs> but the combination of the accountability and the daily things, it kept things in front of me. I don't know, you know, sort of coaching or what you do for yourself, but I've known myself to say, oh, okay, you know, I'm just leaving the coaches or the therapist's office and there are these really great ideas and I'm going to do them. And I find them in the notebook either an hour or 12 hours or if I'm lucky a day um, before the next appointment when I go to prepare for that coming appointment. And your system of accountability is so much more effective. You know, it's like even in my own coaching programs that I'm trying to set up, it's like there's got to be accountability. There's got to be some in-between. There's got to be some check-in because otherwise people just fall off their own, you know, off the map, off the radar, what have you, um, until that next appointment comes up, even if they can show up bright and shiny and on time for an appointment, remember to do this stuff in the meantime, not so much. And as I, uh, I mentioned right at the beginning of the episode that the audio issues uh, will get cleared up. So this is the point right now you're going to hear where the audio issues got cleared up. I made a note into my whole system so I wouldn't have to re- worry about remembering it later. And that note was no wireless headphones. So that was the issue we were having. So uh, it's almost the comedy of errors the, the, with the way we've been trying to record things, Donna. 
But you know what? It's your story is is still worth sharing. So we're gonna fight through all the audio and all the other kind of glitchiness things that we've been been experiencing. So you just been you were just sharing that one of the things that you have been finding helpful about the the group was the regularity of those check-ins. And I can certainly relate to, you know, when, when I've, uh, even when I've worked with a coach individually, or I've worked with a therapist individually, when it's week to week, it's like I go and review those notes, you know, as I'm sitting in the parking lot uh, right before I go into my appointment. Um, it's like, oh, I meant to do that. So I do really believe uh, in one of the strengths of the group is its frequency at three times a week now. You know, it's enough to have that in-between sort of time to work on stuff. Um, and have enough work and really help develop the habits that we all really crave to have. The other thing I feel strongly about is that it's not like, you know, three months or six months or whatever, and then suddenly, you know, you're better or you, you know what you need to know. Without sticking with something like this, I think you backslide. It's like going to Weight Watchers and then stopping. You know, if, if you don't stick with it and set up accountability for yourself, I don't think it works in the long run. And that's why, you know, I've been, ex I was excited to be in the pilot for the second or the, I'm not sure what you're calling that group. We are, we're not calling it an alumni group and it's going to be, um, it's going to be forming as a membership based community. Um, and it's one of these things that like every group has asked me for, like the, is there a continuation group? What's next? And I, like, I've tried it one time and it's, and what I've shared with you and past members of the group is that, you know, launching these groups is a lot of work. And so when I just thought of, oh, I don't want to have to launch these, these like an ongoing group, that's just another launch. I sort of masterminded this idea with with some people of my last group. And they shared just like, get something going. Don't worry about it being perfect. And like, we'll really help create it. And so this sort of this alumni group, this ongoing membership group is really something that was the ideas and, and the, the sort of the specs of it were sort of member generated ideas, which is really cool. I and mean, I'm really excited about it. And we're really getting started with it because I think you're absolutely right, Donna, that when you have something like ADHD, you know, it's not like depression where you're going through a period of depression and maybe you start taking medication and you do some cognitive behavioral therapy and you, your depression can be in remission and you can, you know, then at a point no longer have depression. With ADHD, it's not like that, right? And I think that for a lot of us, it's you go through these periods of, of challenge, you work on it, you develop mastery at some point, and then you, with this new level of mastery, you take on new challenges, and then it's sort of the cycle repeats, you know? So it's this ADHD by the, the nature of what it is. It's a, it's a chronic condition that, that impacts all areas of our life. So I absolutely agree with you, Donna, you know, is as you know, my training as a as a licensed clinical social worker, you know, we're sort of taught it's, you know, get the client in and get them out, you know, it's don't keep them longer. And it's interesting because we think about in even primary care, right, and in, in primary health care, like we have ongoing relationships with our doctors, right? Like we hopefully aren't just going to them when we're just sick, right? We're, we go for our regular checkups. Right. To keep ourselves healthy, to keep ourselves doing well. And I think that when you have ADHD, I think it's kind of like that. You know, a person doesn't necessarily need to be in an intensive programs forever. But I think having ongoing support in some way, I think, is really, really helpful um, just because of the nature of what we're what we're working with. We, we know what to do, but we don't always do it. And so having the support and accountability throughout that process sort of keeps us on track. Yeah, and I definitely got it in both groups. 
but to go all the way back because it feels like it was an hour ago <laughs> since we took a short break. That was critical to me was working through that and getting my stuff sorted out and getting my 10 boxes done and stuff I had to go through and pack up and whatnot. And I honestly don't know how I would have done it without you guys. I remember, was it, I think it was you that one of the biggest challenges you were having was either it was either getting sucked in to the internet or the TVs or, or both. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. If there's, as I said a little bit ago, if there's quadrant four activity I can get sucked into. Yeah, I'm there. I'm there. And it's getting back on track. You know, it's like everybody gets off track for a while, but catching myself, the mindfulness, being aware and going, what am I supposed to be doing now? And if I ask myself that question, I can often get back on track, which in the past I'd just be like, no, I don't want to. But now I can do it, but I've got to be mindful enough to at least ask that question. Mm -hmm. I think I first heard this idea from uh, from Ari Tuckman. Um, and, you know, when we know that that ADHD, it's consistently inconsistent to the goal of coaching, the goal, the goal of, of therapy is not to eliminate all of the sort of the, the down slips, the dips. It's to minimize the length of time that you're in that dip, right? It's to increase the consistency by decreasing inconsistency. It's not saying it's it's going to go away, but we're gonna, we want to try to shorten those 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 gaps of time where we sort of fall off the wagon and uh, sort of go back into old ways because it's really easy to do to go back into those those old ways of doing things that aren't uh, aren't as helpful. Yeah, yeah. I think I heard Rick Green talk about it a few weeks ago that, you know, things that would like bum him out, like something would go wrong and that would like just derail him for weeks. And now maybe it derails him for a day or an hour. And I, I've experienced that same thing, you know, and, it, and that sometimes you got to really remind yourself what a big improvement that is. And it's, it's hard to remember sometimes where we came from. You know, I was, we was, uh, I was having a, um, one of the, our mastermind sessions with, uh, with um, my, my summer coaching group. And one of the suggestions that I, that I made to a person that was in the hot seat was to create a, a list of a done list instead of a to-do list, a, you know, I, an I did list. And one of the, the things that we were talking about was you know, when we are experiencing these sort of periods of, of depression or we're in a funk our brain has this nasty trick that it plays on us and it makes us believe that we've always felt this way and we are always going to feel this way. And that's part of the nature of depression. And we know that that, that can co-occur with ADHD so, so often. Um, and so it's having that, the evidence that we can look to and say, okay, I, I did this, I did this, I did this. Cause it's, it's a really common thing that I hear from uh, some of my clients is that, even though they know they've made progress, they don't feel sometimes like they have. And being able to separate the facts from the feelings. Have you had that experience, Donna? Yeah, it's like as an ADD, and I don't know if there's, you know, other stuff going on there, but I always do the, yeah, I did it, but. Like, yeah, I got a PhD, but it took me next number of years. I don't even remember 10, 11, 12 years. I called myself a gradual student. So a gradual, it, I love that. It's like a really ingrained habit of minimizing our accomplishments. I think we're really good at seeing what's wrong and really bad at overstating how little we've done. It's, you know, it's like, it's the worst thing in the world. It's it catastrophizing in, you know, is part of it. But what is that when we like, 
everything is the best or the worst or the I don't know. Um, as far as I can see, CBT like uh, catastrophizing, making mountains out of molehills. You know, the, the minimizing, maximizing, black or white thinking. Um, so yeah, and so I think being able to identify those sort of uh, the way we're thinking about things and being able to look at the evidence of what do, what do we actually do, which is one of the values of just writing things down, you know, so we can actually see and track. I mean, I know that probably you have, I know I have, I know probably most people listening to, to this right now have added something to their to-do list after they've already done it just so they can cross it off, right? And I think that's sort of a self-correcting mechanism that it's, I think it's in an unconscious way, it's our brain kind of telling us, you know, this is the type of thing that would be good to write down. So let's try to remember that for next time. It's the same reason why we, uh, you know, if we're playing a sport or doing something and we miss our shot, where we, uh, you know, utter some four-letter word, it's sort of that that using self-talk as a corrective mechanism. So I think that that act of crossing something off that we've already done is sort of the same same idea. That's that's my theory. I don't think it's proven at all, but it's it makes sense to me. Yeah, well, I like to write things down after the fact. I know, for example, you assigned uh, um, this one activity where you write down estimate of how long something was going to take and then how long it actually took. And my glitch there, or what I catch myself, is that it's not just that it, it really takes 10 to 15 minutes to load the dishwasher, not just five, but that when I'm doing other things, a lot of it is spent, like, off in that other place, you know, in that distracted, distractible, going in circles, procrastinating place. And so the thing may not take me a super long time as if I stay on task. And it's the business of staying on task. That's one of those things that is still a real work in progress for me. And, and Donna, me too. Yesterday I was, I, I came home and I wanted to get, try to make sure I got to bed at a reasonable hour because uh, on Thursdays I have a, a 9 a.m. Uh, mastermind meeting that I'm a part of. And so that's an hour before I usually get into the office. So I know I have to get into bed on time. And so I'm sort of doing my thing, getting ready for, for bed. And I keep like checking my phone and I'm just like, I'm going to keep myself up if I do this. But she took my phone and I tossed it onto the, the couch until I was like, done doing everything else. And, uh, and that was actually hard to do. I was like wrestling with myself to just like get rid of my phone while I'm trying to finish this stuff up. It's uh, something that I sort of don't want to admit, but it's uh, I, I struggle with with the technology stuff. I get very sucked into it, and I'm on it more than I want to be. It's a struggle. I'm actually uh, I don't know if it was you or someone else uh, the first time I heard about it, and I just heard about it again in uh, in my current coaching group. This uh, kitchen safe, I think it's a clear time like you can put your phone or your ipad in it and it will lock you can see it but it, you can put a timed lock on it it's like 50 bucks and like i you know what i believe wholeheartedly in outsourcing willpower and it's the times that my medication is worn off that my willpower for that kind of stuff sucks like i just I don't have it like i have here's i'm having this thought of Put, turn it off, turn it off. Don't open that game. Don't open the game. And what am I doing? Turning it on and opening the game, right? As I'm having that thought. And it's like, you know, willpower doesn't, like, I, I don't win that that battle, uh, especially at night. So I'm actually getting ready today to record a video. And that's one of the things that I'm going to be uh, um, talking about on that. And I even say on there, if I, if I haven't, uh, you know, if you talk to me online, ask me if I bought, if I have bought that thing yet, as, as I'm trying to make my case for accountability. <laughs> No, I don't recall anything about a, a glass or a clear safe. So 
I'm curious about that. Although, you know, you know, the first thing I'd want to know is how do you defeat it? How do you, what's the back door? What's the workaround? Oh, of course. And I and I've actually had a few people that, that mentioned that. And my thought is it's probably something you could break, but it's 50 bucks. So it's like, if you want to break the thing and get, get into it, like you could, I'm sure, but is that worth 50 bucks? Most of us are going to say no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're really into arts and crafts and you're bringing arts and crafts into, uh, into the world of ADHD. I am trying, you know, I think, you know how some people say, okay, nutrition is really important and sleep is really important and exercise is really important. And Kristen talks about play being really important. I think play and, and creativity are super important. Yeah. Thank you. I think it's like you've got to do it every day or every week or with regularity. It's just got to be one of those things. Why? Why is it important to you? It just is. It's just one of my values. And what, what does it do for you? It's one of those places I can hyper-focus, you know, and it's a happy, good place to go. Mm-hmm. It's just an outlet for me. You know, somebody who might be sporty or might be out doing more sports. And I have a lot of activities like that. I don't always do them regularly. And I haven't been doing my craft stuff regularly. And Your, your what stuff? My craft, crafting. Oh, craft. Okay. You know, it's one of those when I get around to it. Mm-hmm. And I... It, it's it's the same thing, having accountability, having people who like myself who really want to do creative things and want somehow to make space in their life. And that's what I'm trying to do. Right. Because play and, and other areas of self-care are always important and rarely are they urgent. Exactly. So there's, there's never this fire behind the, the drive to do it. So it's looking at and we were talking before we hit record about the idea of the one thing and how important that is and so if that's something that is a a value that you want to make sure you're doing you know carving out time in your calendar then uh to do that one thing so if that one thing is you know spending an hour every day uh doing some kind of craft um and not doing anything else until you get that thing done i mean that's sort of that that idea of the one thing um, so how are you doing that now for yourself? Or is it something that you're you're struggling with right now? At the moment, I'm struggling. But I realized that I have, you know, let us several things slide lately. Um, and, and let me backtrack there. You were talking about mindfulness earlier. Mm-hmm. I caught myself recently. Um, I hurt my foot. It's silly. It's nothing critical. But I stopped going to yoga. And I'm also on, you know, weight reduction program. You know, the 40th reunion is coming up. And it was like, it was almost too easy to lose the weight this time. And I realized the first couple of months I was doing yoga and then I stopped. And what it is, is I lost all the muscle mass. And I went yoga at seven o'clock yesterday morning, beach yoga. And I'm like, the dogs are looking at me like, you're kidding. You're getting up this early, lady. You never get up this early. But I went to beach yoga and I was effective all day yesterday. I got a bunch of stuff done. And it's realizing how important those things are, those things that, you know, feed your soul, get your um, neurotransmitters going. Um, You know, there are some folks out there for whom they take their medication and that they found just exactly what they need and they're good with it. 
But for me, without all the other stuff of making sure I get protein, making sure I get exercise and making sure I'm doing some sort of uh, creative outlet. If I'm not doing those things the rest of my day, it's like it's all the have tos and the shoulds and the what do you call it? Important with a B. Um, You've got to have some of that joy in your life that sort of gets you going every day. Right. And I, and I think, you know, besides from a, what do you want to call it, feeding your soul or, you know, boosting your neurotransmitters, um, you know, what, whatever you want to call it, I believe that play is also helpful for productivity. Yeah. Um, so I know for me, exercise is a big part of, of, sort of my, my ADHD treatment plan. And you know, I exercise for my brain. Um, my, my waistline is always grateful that I'm doing it, especially when I step it up and when, I, and, uh, when I've gained a few pounds. This past month, I've, uh, I've really stepped up my, my morning exercise routine. And uh, for most days, I'm getting out there for over an hour and I've been going to, to new places. And so that's, that's been really uh, good for me because it's whenever I'm going somewhere new, I can go further and, and, and you know, ride harder. Um, and it's amazing. So over the last month, my average time was probably somewhere between, uh, 45 minutes to over an hour. I ride it's an elliptigo. I mentioned it before on the, the podcast where it's it, imagine an elliptical, but now imagine a bike. So it's actually, it's like an, it's an elliptical like, that goes, <laughs> right. And it, it's so much fun and it's an amazing, amazing workout. Um, but when, because what was happening is that I would just squeeze in 20 minutes. And, you know, it's like, I, I believe that 20 minutes is better than zero minutes. But I was looking at how many days that I was just getting a 20-minute workout. And then I was looking at, oh, my weight keeps going up. And, oh, I'm sort of floundering a little bit at the office. And so in the last month, since I have really have stepped up my exercise routine, in the last few weeks, I've been juggling some pretty big projects and I think doing and making really uh, some pr- pretty big headway on them. And I think a big part of it has to do with the increase in exercise and and adding the element of play by you know, putting it in my car and driving 10 minutes somewhere to go ride somewhere that I haven't been before. Um, so it, I really, truly believe that it, it drastically improves uh, productivity and also probably helps me sleep better at night, too which also improves productivity. So it all comes down to these areas of self-care. When we put sort of self-care as, oh, we'll get around to it, it's, it's what's, the, what's the phrase, penny-wise and dollar-poor? You know, it's like you're not investing the time in the right place. You invest your time in self-care. It's going to pay dividends so, so much. Yeah, yeah. It's that whole thing that comes from Stephen Covey way back about sharpening the saw. You know, that you take that break, that you refresh yourself. And you were talking about riding in different places. The novelty is, you know, that's that hook for you. Mm-hmm. you know, that's obviously, you know, making a difference. You're what it sounds like at least doubling the length of your ride. Rady talks about skill building activities mm-hmm. and that, you know, something like a martial art where you're learning to get better. And to me, you have to, or you, anybody, has to be careful between the play and the practice where it's just for the fun and you're doing it and not getting down on yourself and the expert. You know, it's like doing art. Lots of folks struggle, like, I'm not going to be good enough or my work isn't good enough. And I think that's why those, you know, painting while they're pouring you wine is probably a really cool thing. You know, you're sitting What, what is that now? 
Oh, I don't know if that's maybe it's. I'm, I'm not an arts and crafts person, so oh, okay. forgive me. I, I don't know anything about this stuff. So, so, but I imagine that there are listeners who are like, "Yeah, I love doing that thing," but I have no idea what you're talking about. So, talk to us. Okay, there are these art studios. It'll use often be ceramics, but also painting. I've seen lately where they'll teach a complete beginner how to paint and everybody paints the exact same scene and they can you know, do it how they want, but they're always serving wine. And so people are loosening up and they do it with a group of friends. And then they all show a, like a group photo later with their product. And I love that because it's that sort of getting relaxed and having that social time and not worrying about the end product that, you know, everybody's just smiling in those after or at the end of the session photos. And I think the wine helps. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because as, as a kid, I didn't really like arts and crafts, but I think that I would enjoy doing that now. Hmm. I, I could see that being very uh, relaxing. And, uh, you know, sometimes I get into just like a, um, or we'll get into drawing a picture just, you know, for no particular reason, but to draw a picture and I get really sort of into it. And it's, um, so I can sort of see how that, that would be kind of nice. When you're working with clients, um, how do you help them explore their creative side and, and uh, use creativity to find joy? Well, that's a good question. I, right now, I, you know, I'm working on establishing a group, but I think with individuals, it has more to do with, you know, if that's something that's important to them. If, you know, if I said, oh, Eric, you have to go out and do something creative, it'd be like, mm, no, that doesn't fit. That's like the coach who insisted I use post-it notes. It's like, no, 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 no. You cannot stay forever. I think whatever it is, it's whatever is of meaning to the person. And how do you work that into your life? How does that become part of your routine? How do we learn to prioritize? And boy, if you wanted to coach me, that's one of the things to coach me on is to, you know, making sure I'm looking at the big picture. We may not have a perfect view of what those big goals are, but if we don't have them, we don't have anything to draw us forward. It's, you know, it's just all that, oh, what do I do next? Or, oh, blah, 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 you know, and that kind of thing. So when we go into our break, we're not going to go quite yet. Okay. Uh, we can certainly focus on prioritization. Ah. So I'd love to be able to help you uh, with that. What are some of the other things that, that you want to share with listeners, either about things that you've learned yourself uh, along this, this journey or in the way that you help clients sort of learn the things. I often think that the things that we need to learn the most ourselves are the things that we are the best at teaching. Oh, boy. I don't know if you want to talk about clutter now. Going back to what we were talking about with the house. But that was so important to me is that I was so overwhelmed by the clutter. And I'm cycling around to being overwhelmed with it again is that it's a muscle, it's a skill building thing. You know, it's like the 10th or 50th box was way easier than the first five. Oh, and, of course, yes. You know, when I was trying to downsize from stuff that had never been unpacked into new boxes, at first I could not get rid of almost anything. And then I realized, oh, well, I packed that box, but I bet I could get rid of half of that stuff. And that's sort of where I'm at now. It's like now that I've moved and, well, I've been avoiding unpacking for a while, you know, and getting the, the last couple of things up. So that, you know, that's really a, an important thing. And then, you know, at some point, love to get feedback from folks about, you know, interest in, you know, doing a group craft thing. Although it, 
I don't know if it'd be virtual or what, you know, obviously here in New England, I could try to get folks together, but um, yeah, we could do that virtually because I really think that, you know, having these sort of conversations and doing it in groups and talking about, you know, where people are struggling. I know for writers, they call it writer's block and I'm not sure what they call it for folks in other areas. Do you, have you ever heard of the, um, the, the book and she also has a podcast, uh, uh, Big Magic is the book um, oh. by Elizabeth Gilbert. And then uh, she has a, a podcast called oh, Magic yeah. Lessons. And that her podcast, uh, who uh, Nisha had shared with me, and she's like, you should do this on your podcast. Because basically what she, what she does is, is she coaches people through creative blocks. Okay. And so that's sort of where I kind of came up with, with the, uh, the inspiration for, you know, coaching people on the podcast. And um, it's, it's fun. That's, that, to me, when I get to, to coach someone, uh, both in a, a real coaching session and also on the podcast, like this is play to me because it's like I sort of feel like I'm on stage and that's play, you know, and it's like my brain's lighting up. And it's, it, you know, it's one of these things I'm like, wow, this is like, this is my work. Like, I feel so lucky. I'm trying to figure out how you built that confidence when it became play and you've got that level of confidence. Hmm. Like to be a coach or to be like, what do you mean? To feel like coaching is play, that it's joyful, that it's not work, that you're not anxious about it, that hmm. it's a good, wonderful, fun thing. You're calling it play. That's a really, it's a really good question. Um, I guess for me, I can't even remember a time where I didn't feel like this work was play. Um, Cause I, you know, going back to um, if I back up probably 10, at least 10 years when I um, was my first job out of uh, after my undergrad and I was working at a therapeutic day school and this therapeutic day school started an autism program and it started with two kids uh, who were from another state. They, they were in state hospitals they had not received any kind of early intervention. So these were kids that had some really severe and profound behaviors, right? And so they call out. So I was currently working in the middle school, working with uh, um, kids with emotional and behavioral challenges. And they called me into that the classroom because they basically needed a, a, a male body that one person had to go home because they were injured by uh, these, these two kids because they were having these really aggressive tantrums. And they were, I mean, these were marathon tantrums that would last eight hours long and it was uh, aggressive. And um, so I walked in there the very first day and not knowing a thing about autism. I, I, you know, I didn't really know what it was. And I get called over uh, the building that they were in was across this campus I walk over there and the clinical director is on the stairs and uh, she just looks very disheveled. And she's, this is a person who's typically like a type A confident, like, you know, you can walk into any situation. And she just kind of gives me this look of like, thanks for coming over and good luck. Oh, and she bites. <laughs> and that, that was my, uh, my intro into that, that classroom and I walk in and I see this, this little girl, about 10 years old, sort of half passed out on this beanbag chair. Um, they'd given her medication to sedate her because of the level of, of aggression that she was having. And so I'm in there for a little bit. And then she kind of gets up and she walks towards me, almost like a Muppet. 
And like the way just she was walking, just a very like her her body was very kind of floppy. And she just kind of looks at me and goes, don't bite. And then like we try to bite me. And I was immediately in love. <laughs> so, like I, because for me, it's like I had never seen behavior quite like this. And, and these tantrums went on for hours and hours. And I was able to sort of connect with them and, and help them sort of calm down using music and just kind of being with them. And I was so intrigued by it. I like dove into the research like immediately because I wanted to understand it and completely fell in love with it. I asked, I requested to be transferred to that program full time. And they were grateful that I requested that because they, people were trying to request to get out of that program. And I just, I fell in love with it. And so I, even though it was hard work, I felt like it was play. And so I don't, I don't really remember a time where that kind of like the work that I do didn't feel fun to me. Mm. So, yeah, it's kind of a long answer to that that question, but I I know that like when I was working in like the the public school system, that didn't feel as much like play to me, which is why I don't work in the public school system. That just felt like paperwork and bureaucracy, and I was like, th- those are things that I don't like. It's good that you know, and you've made it. You've got a good fit. What feels like play to you? Oh, data. You know, in addition to talking to people, data, you know, the more I think about it, the more I want to be sure to integrate research and data. It's like, you know, the joke from the first group was, I think in Excel, um, you know, it's just uh, my brain kind of works. You, you really are an outlier, Donna. <laughs> <laughs> I had three standard deviations. No. <laughs> yes. Absolutely, positively. And I'm good with that. Yeah, I like talking to people. And you know, the funny thing is, I think the question I was getting at about play was actually about your confidence. And I think that's the piece that, you know, I'm in my head. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, I, I, I want to get confident. I love to talk. I'm, you know, and, and it's the whole of the, okay, well, ask an open-ended question or don't tell people you know, there's only one way to do it. And I'm, I'm too much in my own head. And I think that's the difference. It's that, you know, play is something that you enjoy. You don't think about too hard. It just, it brings you joy. It gives you energy. Um, you know, I think of lots of things like that, you know, exercise and art and driving the convertible with the top down. And <laughs> you know, then this does bring to mind the one other um, kind of point is that, you know, so you were in the first group and you were, I'm sure you probably remember that there were these periods where I was actually feeling very overwhelmed and, and I shared that. Right. And the, the feedback that I got from everyone in the group was so supportive about that because I was in my head a lot and I was trying to create this like perfect group right and do everything perfectly and I wanted to deliver on every single promise and if I was like late on something like it I was really really hard on myself and I just shared that and the feedback that that I got just by sharing the the you know the stories that I was telling myself in my head it, it reassured that I think that was part of what gave me the confidence, the mm. me sharing my vulnerabilities, me sharing my fears and hearing back that not only were people saying that it was like, okay, it was more than that. It was like, like thank you for like being you and it makes it feel more okay to be us. And I think 
because of that, I have a less of a fear of screwing things up. Like, I know I'm going to screw things up, right? And I know that's going to be okay. And I certainly will have days where that imposter syndrome kicks in and, you know, I'm, I'm having the self-doubt. But, like, I recognize that as a story that I'm telling myself and I share the story and it's met with empathy because I, I work with people, you know, like you who understand the journey and, you know, experience and, and greet me with the I get it, me too. And, you know, it's by sharing that and getting and getting those those fears out of my head and, and making them more public. I can then move forward because I'm not carrying around shame. That makes so much sense, Eric. But remembering back then, I think that's when you did the rewired at 55 miles an hour. If I'm not that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 And that too, and that, that episode too was very influential, I think, in how I feel about what I do. Just the feedback that I got from that, that particular episode. You know, I, I went back and spoke at that school and I was, I really wanted to do like a, a part two of that. Um, but I didn't leave myself enough time to pack up my gear to to do it again. So it was, it was a thought, but it, I didn't execute it. Um, no, but yeah, no, it's a really interesting question. It was a, it's a, um, what kind of creates the confidence in doing something with play? Yeah. People want you to be you. And I think that's, and, and people will like you for you, not like you despite of flaws. They'll like you because of your flaws. And yeah. I, and I think that's something that's important to remember. Hard to remember, but important. We talked a while back, um, probably when we were preparing for uh, the first time we tried to have this interview, and I talked about making your mess your message without being a train wreck. And I think that's what you're saying, is being honest, being open, being vulnerable. But I stop at the, oh, my God, look what I did. And maybe I shouldn't, but yeah, I, I kind of... I'm hesitant. I'm not the most trusting person in the world. You're, you're not the most what? Trusting person trusting in the person. world. Okay. Okay. And that might be someplace I need to go is to be, you know, more trusting. Be, ah, what is it? Leaning in, being fully in. What yeah, is, and talking about daring greatly. You know, we're talking about there, daring, yeah. having, having, having courage. Um, yeah. And make, I love that, that whole notion of making your, your mess, your message. What was the other part of that? Without what? Without being a train wreck. Yeah, you know, there was a uh, there was a, a, a episode that I actually never released uh, that I did with my, my friend and colleague Mindy Katz, and the re- and I'm friends with her. And the reason I never released it is we started talking about stuff that was sort of more personal, and I got really emotional, and I started sharing other things. I'm like, you know what, like. I'm all for sharing personal things, but we stumbled on some stuff that I'm still working through. And so I didn't yeah. release it. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be appropriate. And, uh, and so Mindy, if you're listening, we should reschedule that interview. Um, <laughs> all right, let's do this. Cause I'm, I'm watching the time right now. Um, speaking of making messes and trying to clean them up, um, let's go to break. And then we will figure out some ways to help you focus on your one thing, whether or not that's decluttering or getting yourself back on track uh, on your top priorities. Whatever it is, we're going to invite you into the hot seat when we come back. Turn good intention into amazing actions with the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. This virtual video-based group coaching program meets three times a week. Improve your productivity, develop better habits, experience the true power of supportive accountability from members of our own tribe. Learn, grow, and connect. 
Learn more at ADHDrewired.com. I hope to see you there. That's ADHDrewired.com. And prepare to get your ADHD rewired. While you're at my website, there's a few things there that you might like that I mentioned earlier. Uh, One is the 125 Strategies video series uh, that is currently on my homepage, I think also on the ADHDrewired.com page, and also on erictivers.com. Just click the home button if you go to ADHDrewired.com. Did I confuse you yet? The links are in the show notes. the replay for high-tech and low-tech solutions to supercharge your productivity is also available now on the website. It'll be there for just a little while longer. Um, I am probably going to be offering that as something you can purchase uh, in the near future, but it's free now, so go grab it. All right, I will uh, see you guys or talk to you guys next week. And if you are listening to this on Monday morning, I hope to see you at the webinar in a few hours. Go to the website for all the information or erictivers.com slash events. We are back with Donna Barry and Donna is going to step into the ADHD rewired hot seats. And um, Donna, we're going to help you with what? Uh, My theme from the reboot group was bravery. And asking you earlier about play, I was really trying to get at confidence, which to me is really, you know, a form of bravery. Let's go there. Okay. So when you talk about bravery, are you sort of pulling from uh, the work of Brene Brown where she talks about being brave? Yes, definitely. Okay. But some of the things that, uh, that Brene Brown uh, says about uh, bravery, and I'm pulling some quotes from her. Uh, one is, daring greatly is being brave and afraid every minute of the day at the exact same time. Uh, Another one that she says is that owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing we'll ever do. And uh, the the last one I'm going to share is it's ironic that the most afraid when I'm being brave and vulnerability equals courage. Yeah. Yeah. All of those, you know, they really resonate for me and I really struggle with it. And especially it's like, uh, it's that whole Rip Van Winkle thing. You know, I got myself stuck. I got myself in a cocoon. I was asleep because I was reluctant to step out. I got less and less sure. Well, this is a tangent, but explain, this- explain the Van Winkle thing because I think that's a different oh. generation, Donna. <laughs> it's, it's a story, fairy tale, whatever, about this guy who fell asleep for twenty years and then woke up. Okay. Um, okay. You know, he like fell asleep under a tree, and that's sort of what I feel like I did. You know, it's like my data skills are from you know the last century, the last millennium, but I still have the interest. But you know, I've got to get to the the big data and the, the techniques and the different everything that's there. All right. So when we think about bravery as having courage to do something, even though we're afraid, you know, our fears are often based in the stories that we tell ourselves, right? What share some of the stories? Oh, well, you know, a lot of those 
they're rut stories. I have a colleague who has described them that I'm not good enough. I'm stuck in this place. I don't know how to get out of it. Or I'm not good enough, trained enough, experienced enough to hold someone's life in my hand as a, you know, as a coach, you know, and I know a lot of stuff, but I never think I know enough. Okay. So I have a question for you about that. So you like data. Yeah. What is the measurement that you would use to say that you, you are enough, that you know enough? I'm assuming that's a rhetorical question, Eric. Donna, you're on to me. <laughs> I think on the Excel sheet, it would say error. Is that? <laughs> um, you know, we were talking about the done list or the done list or what have you. You know, you write stuff down that you've done each day. You know, you have that little basket on your desk. And what was it you guys were doing with the 30 days of the successes? It was, whose um, podcast was that from? Where you were talking about the good things that were happening and posting pictures and whatnot. And it's that thing of just reminding yourself of the good stuff, reminding yourself of the evidence that really shows that your stories are just stories. You know, it's one thing, you know, when you work in someone's office and you go, yeah, I'm five foot two, I weigh this much on that, whatever. And that's your history. And that's honestly honesty. But then when you keep going, well, I just can't, I just can't, I don't know how, and I just can't, and I'm never going to be that person. And you just, it's a rut. It's this routine. You keep saying the words over and over and over again. And they become really difficult to escape. Donna, when I, when I first started my therapy practice and I first uh, started, I, I took insurance for all of six months. Uh, it's like the worst six months of my life. Um, I, had no, I didn't understand it. I didn't know what to do with it. I was totally confused and overwhelmed. Okay. And so I had these new clients and I felt fairly confident in my, in my clinical skills my administrative things were like, I couldn't even be with myself. They were so like, horribly <laughs> like poor. And one of the things that I did, then I think it really built the relationships with my clients is that I said, you know, here's what I, how I think it works. Like if this is wrong, like I'll, I'll fix it. Like I was totally just open and transparent about them, about like, I'm fig I'm still figuring this part out. Right. I wasn't trying to hide any of it. And they were totally cool with that, right? Like it, it was, it was okay. They, they appreciated it. They understood that I was starting out, right? And I think that it was sort of part of what maybe why they liked working with me because I was open and honest, right? I was being myself. And you know, Donna, you I mean you have a PhD? You are highly, highly educated, right? Like. I don't know how much more experience you can get because here's the thing. It's not necessarily about learning more things. You're going to, the more you do, the more you're going to learn, right? You have so much to offer. You have so much value uh, for other people because of who you are. And that includes the things that you struggle with. Yeah. And to paraphrase what you just said and how it sunk in is, you can't get experience unless you get experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> unless you step out there and do it and make the mistakes and do what you just said, which is to be transparent, to be honest, 
you know, just be honest, just be open, not try to pretend that you're more than you are, but not also don't minimize it's it, it's that yeah but again yeah it's like yeah i've got a, a phd and it's even in psychology but <laughs> i mean just want to say do you know how many coaches would love to be able to say that they have a phd in psychology i mean can i tell you that <sighs> donna from, from what i know of you for as long as i've known you you are a very intelligent kind of quirky uh, you know, person who I think has so much to offer, right? So this fear of getting out of your comfort zone, can you think of things that you've done in the last maybe couple of years where you have gotten out of your comfort zone? Ooh, out of my comfort zone. I guess I've been stepping up and trying to do things, you know, like saying, I'm doing a presentation at Chad. I brought a little piece of artwork to Sari Solden's Better Together. And it was the stepping up and saying, I'm going to do this and then following through. That's what, you know, I think I've gotten in my own head over the years about not feeling trustworthy because of follow through issues, which are often typical of people with ADD. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't always step up, even though I, pretty much knew I could do it. It was just in case I didn't follow through. I didn't want to, pardon me, but I didn't want to look like an idiot. <laughs> so, but, but what was the thing that you did that stepped up? Well, to me, that was just, you know, the actual stepping up. That was the brave thing. Okay. Was there any, was there any negative outcome from that? In some cases, there was some around the edges, but it was minor. It was like somebody. So don't I want? So I want to actually explore that. So what was what was that? Well, with the craft thing, it was like somebody else was like, "Why is that a priority to you? Why would that be important?" I'm like, "Oh my gosh, a it is creativity related. B I stepped up and I said I'm going to do this, and then I did it." It wasn't like, oh, mumble, mumble, um, I'm going to, you know, manufacture some excuse that's, you know, probably some version of the truth for why I couldn't get it done when in fact was, you know, I got derailed somehow. I did it. I said I was going to do it. I did it. I followed through the success. I mean, that may sound so trivial, but somebody was like, why would that be important? And I'm like, it was important. It was super important. So here's a question that I have. Do you think that the person that asked you that was asking in a level of event of curiosity and he took it as minimizing uh perhaps but there's also the possibility that you know different people have different priorities in life and you know i think the thing i I did learn from that was that if something's important to me i should follow it and i shouldn't let other people get in my head i think from what I'm hearing, it sounds like that really sort of um, pushed your your worthiness button. The challenge did, but also um, the saying, I'm going to do it. You know, it's like, thank you very much for that thought and that input. But no, I think this is a priority. I think it is important. And it's, it's good to have people who are close around you to mm-hmm. question sometimes because so what did you, what can you take from that and learn from that? What I learned is when I'm clear about my priorities, it's easier to withstand 
the challenge, either from the outside or from in my own head. So how can you take that uh-huh, and integrate that for, in a strategic way, your daily and weekly kind of priorities? Mm. I think, you know, having that, you know, one of the things you had us work on in the original group was doing the annual goals, the quarterly goals, the monthly, the weekly, the daily to-do list, and teaching the difference between the to-do items and the tasks and the projects and, you know, the different levels of things. That if you just make a to-do list every day, you're just sort of going aimlessly. I mean, they may be fires that need to be put out. They might be things that you enjoy doing or what have you. I think an analogy of that could be, it's like every day you're moving 10 feet, but it just happens to be 10 feet in you know 360 degrees different directions. So at the end of the year, you may just dig yourself a trench because you just keep going back and forth over the same sort of areas, even though you're always moving. I think that that's uh, we're having that, that longer term goal in mind is so important. So when you're setting up those daily things that you're doing each day, you're moving towards something instead of just moving. Right. And so the other point I was going to make is that when you write down 30 things on your to-do list for the day and you know you can't do them, how do you filter that? And if you've got those big goals, if you've got those big values and principles and needs and ideas, then you go, oh, okay, this one is in service of this. This one is in service of that. That one is a good thing. But you know what? That'll still be there next week. So let me ask you this. So I know that prioritizing and choosing what to work on is one of the things that you stated was a challenge for you. And right now we're talking about this idea of, of being brave and, and, and daring greatly. And so if you were daring greatly and you're able to, to work with, uh, with a, a client who came to you and said, Donna, I just have you know, so many things on my list that I want to do and I can't figure out what to do first. How would you help them? Oh boy, that's a big question, Eric. I'd, I'd ask them to tell me more about those big goals and those big things and, you know, just to help them get clarity. The more clear we are about what we want, I think the more the, that picture all falls into place. But knowing that that big picture doesn't have to be perfect because we can perseverate to where you know, have you ever worked on your list all day to the point where you never get anything done because you're just working on the list? <laughs> I know I do that. You know, it's, it's interesting because I used to to spend a lot more time on making my like plan for the the day and for the week. I don't know if it's a it's a, a product of just doing it frequently, or I've sort of learned one of the things that I've certainly learned over the last year to maybe eighteen months is I just have less on my list, and that's very intentional. You know, I used to have a, a, a basically two pages. I would have a notebook where was out for in each side of the, the open book was for that entire day. And so one of the lessons that I learned from that was, well, there's too much space to put stuff for the whole day. So I'm putting too much stuff on my, on my list. So then I narrowed that and made that become a week. Right? And that's actually been really, really helpful for me. And so it's by using physical space as a, as a natural limiter of what I have to do. And, you know, so I focus on the, the what is the most important thing that I'm going to do today based on what I have uh, stated for the week, right? 
And I have designated times that I sort of uh, carve out for the stuff that isn't moving goals forward per se, but might be returning a call or um, the things that aren't the big things, right? The, the pebbles versus the, the big rocks. Because I know that when I take on too much, I get less done. I know when I have the more projects I have, the less I actually get done, right? And the big thing for me is finishing. You know, we say that starting is the hardest part, but finishing is pretty damn hard too. Yeah, yeah. Once I get started on something, especially if it's something shiny, I'm pretty good about starting it. But uh, yeah, finishing and like I said at some point earlier, you know, I'm, I'm that, that I go off on a tangent and then it's hard to bring myself back. Mm-hmm. So it's that, you know, what one thing am I supposed to be doing right now? That little tiny bit of mindfulness, kind of like, you know, the butterfly effect. What is that little bitty thing? I used to think mindfulness was this big giant thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I can't do that. That's too hard. You know, that's for like some guru or something. And now I'm just like, that's just one thought of what is it that I want to be doing now or which path to choose based on my big goals or, you know, when the dog barks at me and I'm like, yeah, yeah, the dog's barking and I'm good with it. When the dog barks, I'm like, Oh my God, dog, why are you doing that? It's become like automatic to me now, Donna, you either forgot your meds or you need to eat. And it's, it's an association. It also keeps me from getting upset with the dog because I've gone from very quiet dogs to very barky dogs and, Hopefully you should check um, at about 10 minutes at the hour they were, they were barking. And I don't know whether or not you could hear them. I, I, I heard uh, it, but it wasn't, I don't think it was enough to, uh, okay. we'll, we'll see. Okay. You know, there's those little things of mindfulness and I don't know I would talk about a tangent if you're following me still. I hope one of us know what the question was. <laughs> Um, well, I, I think I, I think the question was how to decide on what to focus on. But here's a question that I want to ask you. So we know that when we that shame grows when we keep things secret, right? And to to dare greatly and to have courage is to share that that thing that maybe you're afraid of sharing because of the concern of what someone might think. What would be the most courageous or something highly courageous that you could do and put out there stating an intention that will move you forward in your career that you are sort of don't really want to say this on the show because then there's this level of, I put it out there. Oh, oh what's boy. That, what's that thing, Donna? Ooh. Was that an evil look? No, I'm just totally kidding. I just made that up. <laughs> Well, and part of it was like, hmm, I don't like not having a ready answer. The side of my brain that wants to go, oh, this is, I'm going to take the easy way out of this. It's like, oh, let's just talk about my creativity group and how I want to, you know, get folks to join me. And I'm, you know, I'm afraid of that because you know me, I'm not the most tech savvy person in the world. Um, But that's not a real big secret. That's one of those I'm going to step up. I'm going to do this. And I invite folks, you know, and I'll give you emails later, but I guess that is going to be play to me. You know, that's in my sweet spot. That's talking about ADD and creativity, you know, just stepping out as a coach is where I'm really struggling because I could do, you know, ADD and statistics. I, I'm going to do the, you know, the ADD and creativity 
but yeah, just really stepping in fully and, and coaching because I love to talk about ADD. I know a lot about it. I, I'm willing to say, yeah, my house is not as clean as it could be. Yeah, it's cluttered. And boy, am I a work in progress there. Donna, me too, me too, and me too, by the way. <laughs> it's just really stepping up fully and just saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be this person. That's sort of the secret. When you picture your brave self, what do you picture? Busy. You picture busy. Because, you know, this staying in the background, it keeps you small. You're not that talkative, bold, confident person. You know, you're, you're little and you're quiet and you don't want people to notice that you're imperfect. And boy, when you're ADD, <laughs> how imperfect are you? And so, you know, get over it. I, you know, and, and, and I'm not a... Um, I don't know if getting over it is, is, where we, is work through it. Work, don't go around it, work through it. Yeah, yes. And yeah, I've been a, a good one about the avoided or don't do it or what have you. When I asked you, um, what will your courageous self could look like? What do you see? And you said, busy. Paint that picture for me a little more, if you will. Let me step back and say, we were talking Rip Van Winkle earlier. The thing I would encourage anyone to do is try not to take a lot of time out of the workforce because that's what I did. And I got in my own head and it became a slippery slope. And now after more than a decade, it's really hard to get back out of. So how would, what would that day look like? It would be a combination of things. I don't want to do the same thing every day. You know, I want to do coaching. I want to do education. I want to do research and I want to pull the crafty side of me together with the EDD and the coaching piece and sort of pull it all together because I just know so many of my friends with and without ADHD don't spend as much time on their creative endeavors as they'd like, but mostly variety, busy, going places, not sitting still all day. I think it's easy for us to be busy, but busy doing the things that you just mentioned to me sounds that's more like being productive, producing, creating things that have never been created before. It's super easy to be busy. I mean, I, I can do the paper shuffle all day long, you know, and, and you know, I can be doing stuff on Facebook that I can tell myself is, oh, this is for my work, you know, and, and it sort of is. But that is not the big stuff that moves me forward. That is not the stuff that I need to that I'm going to be in the ring doing. Right. That's the stuff that I can do, you know, from home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. I, I just can't think of another word because I'm not sure where you got the quote, but talking about measuring your, a person shouldn't measure their self-worth by what they get done in a day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is that, but that's, that's a uh, Brene Brown's guidepost number seven. My, my favorite, they have to look okay. of productivity as a measure of our self-worth. There you go. And we have to get our, our Brene Brown um, cohort regrouped and see if we can all uh, back in. I Because I you and I, who both took Brene Brown's class, still have yet to complete the uh, the course, right? Right, right. So that, that might be a fun accountability thing, you know, with the, all the ADDers who trailed off there. That might be a fun little subgroup. 
but busy in a good way, busy in a joyful way. Yeah, no, not just spinning my wheels. I'm doing this to avoid doing something else kind of way. Okay, so as a data person, and yeah. I believe in, in, in tracking how we're doing so we can measure how we are doing in a more objective way. What if you were to set up an interval timer on your phone, say every two or three hours, and have alarm that goes off and just asks you, am I working on something that is bringing me joy? And just track that as a yes or no. Mm. I like that because I, I love alarms on my phone. Probably set that up without a snooze alarm on it. So I'll just have them go off every few hours. I like that. And I like writing down the yes, no. Because I think if it's something that is fun, but it's not really geared towards your main goal, I don't think it'll bring you joy. I think you, you'll recognize that, like, I like that I'm, you know, watching Netflix right now, but it's not bringing me joy because in my head, I realize what else I need to be doing. Right. Although, you know, there are the important things. Eric, I've got to say that's probably one of the things I borrow from you so regularly, probably the most often. Um, there, There is that, that slice of, you know, doing anything. It's like even for artists, how much time do they spend packaging stuff up and putting it in UPS or FedEx or what have you? Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's why I could. I don't think I could ever do a goods business unless there was drop shipping because I would get all these orders and I'd probably package them up and then they would probably sit at my stoop or my, my, the front door probably forever and no customer would ever actually get their goods that they paid for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so measuring the joyful moments, right, and seeing and to figure out a metric for you that you want to be uh, working on. What are some of the other things that you want to be doing that that is the daring stuff that you really want to be doing and yet you're afraid to be doing? Oh, I'm stumped there. Um, you know, just just getting out there every day and not getting bogged down and doing those, like I said, doing those things that that gives me energy in order to get to those boring things because I know I got to do the clutter. But I need something to give me energy to do the decluttering. Uh, you know, that was another thing you and I talked about coaching on. So what are the things to dare? Just, just to live. Just to not let the gremlins in my head get the better of me. You know, that to live every day and to know that mm, I'm closer to 60, let's say, than 50. That. There's still a lot of life out there that that a later life diagnosis or, you know, just continuing struggles in midlife doesn't mean life's over. And just to celebrate the positive bits every day. So going back to this, uh, this, uh, the coaching crafting group that you, that you've been talking about, mm. how would it feel for you to know that you, if you put that out there and you had a, full group of people who are really excited about doing an ADHD based crafting group. That would feel amazing. That would feel really awesome. That it's like, uh, I'm smiling on my face and my abdomen is just like everything. Just like. <laughs> What's the one thing you could do each day to move forward to make that happen? Oh, well, I've got a list. Okay. Uh, you know, the thing is, you know, tech, PR, 
if I'm going to do it locally, I need space. I need a curriculum, you know, and I would love to get feedback from people about what Donna, are their Donna, the, the first group that you were in, you know, that curriculum that, that I used. Yeah. I made that up as I went. Just okay. telling you. <laughs> All right. Okay. And I think you'll do the same thing. And the, the important thing, this is all about how do we build systems? It's don't build the system outside of the context that you're using it. In the context of creating it, build a system so then it becomes repeatable. As you go. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm one of those people who tries to plan everything out. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, not only is it, ne- is it not necessary, like, we're not even good at that, right? So yeah, it's- yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God, yes. Oh, I'll, I'll tell a terrible tale on myself. I spent, like, I don't know, six, eight months, you know, when I was redoing this house, looking at appliances. And I was like, well, I want one that does this and this and this. And then in the end, I, like, I dove in and bought something in a hurry. And it had, like, the one feature on the refrigerator I really didn't want. And I was like, what was all that work for? And it's like, I would say I'm guilty of overthinking things and collecting too much data. Donna, me too. And some of the strategies that I have used for that, there is a website that I'll, I don't remember it offhand, but I'll post the link on, uh, on the show notes page where you create a spinner and you can add the choices, the, the different options to that spinner and you just click spin and when you're looking at choices that have equal pros and cons, okay. just go on chance. When I learned to do this, it was like, where's the strategy been my entire life? Because it was, I would get stuck on looking for the certain answer. The certain answer almost never exists. So knowing that you got to go for the good enough answer and knowing that like the, the cons, that's what we're always afraid of, that we're going to regret it. The cons of any choice that, that is pretty close is going to be about the same no matter what we pick, right? So if I know that there's something that, that I might overthink and I'm trying to decide between, I will actually put as part of the process a, a date that I must decide by. And when that date comes, I, I just pick one. And, you know, I'm not going to, there's not going to be this like light shining down moment where I have clarity. It's just like I pick one and I move forward. And if it wasn't the right decision, it's not the end of the world. Right. There are very few decisions that are truly life and death decisions. There are very few decisions that even if we don't like the outcomes that we can't live with. Right. Those are great truths to remember. And they're, you know, for people who are indecisive and struggle and collect too much data, but have trouble narrowing things down. Yeah. I'm one of those people who could hear out a reason to, to not honor that deadline I made with myself. So, and that's where the accountability piece comes in. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Back to your original group, Eric. You know, it's like people, I can't tell you how much that meant to me. And, you know, folks should really just join your group, the alumni group, the next group for new folks. I, I, you get it to me, the, the words you use for those, because even when I joined the the alumni group recently, it was ARC something. I'm like, what the heck is ARC? It's the shorthand we use on the other, on the other side of the paywall for ADHD rewired coaching. <laughs> oh, you know, and that, that was just huge. And 
I just really enjoy it. And I think I was probably one of the ones who started like the day after the first group ended. When's the next group? When's the continuation group? You know, so I want to hear back about that for sure. But I like what you were saying to go back about decision making. You know, my husband talks about that to not make a decision is to make a decision. And also that using up more time and not deciding. And he really points out the importance of the costs involved of doing things that way. And I'm learning over time the value of that. And you were saying a lot of similar things. But boy, that's one of those gremlins. Boy, you were talking about the app. I think, you know, what's that shake function on a, like, at least on an iPhone where, you know, you do something and a random thing will come up. You know, maybe you could write an app as you know, you know, a, an app developer that, you know, you put your to-do list in and you shake and you do whatever comes up. I mean, you can put, I, I've seen people, that, this sort of this note card method where each task has, is on a note card and then you just sort of shuffle those cards and, you know, you, you pick one of those things. I definitely um, made progress in the area of decision-making. It's still a battle for me. It doesn't come naturally for me. One of the strategies that I have used, and I've talked about this on a past podcast, I think it was the last year's um, New Year's episode where I talk about goal setting, where I have this, this, let's see, this long statement that I wrote, and I've added to it, and I wrote it in the, in the and I'm not the language person, so the, the present First person, I wrote it as if it's already happened. And the very first sentence of this statement is, I am a decisive person. And I've read that and reread that so many times that when I am faced with choices, that thought pops into my head. And then it's, you know, it's, it's not the thought of, I am going to be a decisive person because that's always later. By me telling myself that I am a decisive person, when I am presented with a choice, well, then it's, well, what does a person do who is a decisive person? They make a decision. I like that because it, it, it helps. You know, you've got that in your head. It's active. It's there. It frames what you're doing. And it's not, what's the phrase? You don't feel like a fraud. You're not pretending to be somebody else. You're just trying to live into that whatever that statement, that mission statement is that you wrote. Or again, it can be something little, like I am a decisive person. Yeah, and not that that's little, but I think that one little statement is making that huge change. And, and often that's where it starts. It's how we think about things. It's changing the story. If we're already telling ourselves stories, it's we are the writers. We are the narrators. If we don't like the voice that's in our head, you can change it. Yeah, I love that. Somebody has to write that book, Changing the Stories. And that's it. That is so much of it. It's not that people without ADD are necessarily any better at so many things. They just don't get bogged down in all of those, all those ideas, all that stuff, all those stories. They're just like, oh, I screwed up. And they move on. You know, and I, I know myself, I shouldn't talk about the whole community because we're all different. But yeah, rewriting stories, that makes a huge difference. So your story, which includes a, an upcoming chapter um, about starting this group with uh, for, for people with ADHD to do crafting and other creative works. When do you think we're going to see that story published? Well, for sure at Chad. 
because I will be um, there uh, chatting with people about it at Chad. I hope to pilot it before then. So I'm saying that in public. So, you know, anyone wants to jump in and go, oh, my God, this is really what I need. And this is a particular flavor or version. It's like, let me know. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to put on my website a, a contact form uh, that will go directly to Donna that will uh, that you can let her know, you know if if you are interested, if you are interested in crafting of any type and you want to be part of a a supportive group that does these things together let donna know uh by going to my website under this episode um and you'll see a contact form there and it will go directly to donna because i have a feeling that there are a lot of people who are going to hop on uh, my website and reach out to you because i think it's a it's you know i think we were talking much earlier about you know there's a lot of creative people who have adhd who you know really want to get back to a creative endeavor or pursue a creative endeavor but because it's never urgent they have a hard time making the time to do it so if you have a structured time i think that that is going to be something that um i think done i think your challenge is going to be is limiting the number of people in the group <laughs> you know that that's not a bad problem to have and I do believe that will be your biggest problem. You know how to use Zoom. That's really all you need to to know how to do. And I also have a feeling because um, you sort of self-identify as, as slightly technologically challenged, that that's going to attract certain types of people too. Good. Now I may, you know, be checking in with some of you tech types to see if I can optimize this, but... Zoom seems like a really easy platform to use. They're getting the headset to work with. It was great. Having the wired version of the headset was even better. You know, I thought, oh, yeah, Eric thinks these are cool headphones. And it's like, all right, good. They, they, I must be on the right track. But you know what? It's like you said, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's a work in progress. I remember being a grad student in teaching psychology classes. You just have to be one chapter ahead. <laughs> you know, that's one of those dirty little yeah. secrets. It's it's so true. I don't, I don't have all this stuff figured out, Donna. There's many, many things that I still struggle with, but I figured a lot of these things out. It's just, to me, it's fun working on the struggles. It's, a, it's yeah. like a puzzle, you know? It's like, how can I get around myself, sort of get, get out of the way of myself when I am getting in the way? It's like stuff that I mentioned earlier with my, you know, playing the, the games on my iPad that, like, I really don't want to be playing for as long as I play them. So it's like, all right, so that's my challenge. How do I solve it? And to me, it's it's a challenge to figure out, you know, it's uh, you know, the getting to bed at a, at a decent hour. You know, it's like I'm still working on it. Um, I've made progress, but I'm still, you know, it's like the, the being able to let that lesson sink in. You know, at that those mornings where I get a really good night's sleep and I'm just like, I can just tell the clarity of my brain like right away. And I also have the thought is like. Why can't I have like have that thought and this feeling in mind at like ten thirty at night when like I need to go to bed right now? Um, and it's so I just ask myself that question of what can, what do I need to do to make that happen? And so as long as we keep getting curious and asking, keep asking questions, and you know try things, know that we're going to fail at things, but these things don't remain to be a failure when we learn from these lessons. Yeah. Boy, you were talking about, you know, talking about your struggles and whatnot, that it makes you approachable. It's like the people who look really slick and polished, 
I'm like, mm, it likely is not, you know, they're not going to judge me, but I think they might because they look so together. So, you know, I, it just, it makes you, I don't know, trustworthy, approachable. We love you the way you are, Eric. Well, thank you, Donna. And, and I know that you guys do. And you know, it sounds sort of weird to say that, right? It's like, that's been so important to me. And that's why one of the true reasons why I feel so just immensely grateful for the community uh, that is formed around this podcast is it has allowed me to really just be me and help people know that it's okay to just be them because that's who we all want to be anyways is ourselves, not somebody else because we're not going to be good at being somebody else anyways. So giving ourselves permission to be our full authentic self. What was the, the phrase you used again that I really like that I keep forgetting? Oh, make your mess your message, that one? Right, like making the mess your message and being okay with that. And that's going to attract people. Donna, what is, what's your website and email address if people want to just go directly to, uh, to you, they can, or I'll post uh, all the stuff on my website as well. Okay, well, the website is clickadhdservices.com. And so my email is drdr.donna at clickadhdservices.com. Or a much easier one is donna.barry, B-A-R-R-E, at comcast.net. All right, and we'll get the links to all of the ways you can reach out to Donna on the website. And uh, we will get something scheduled, Donna, so you can give us a follow-up in a little while, and uh, we'll be able to come back on and share sort of the progress that you've made. All right, and I will see you at Chad, right? I'll see you at Chad, absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Donna. This has been Eric Tivers, and I want to thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode, learn more about the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group, and more. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. Don't just be a passive listener. Be an active member of the community. Submit your request to join our free and growing community on Facebook. Watch for a message from me on Facebook because I screen everyone before they come in the group. Podcasts do change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Share it online or share it with a friend. If you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, let people know about this show. And if you really loved this episode, please hit share on your podcast player. One of the biggest things you can do to support this podcast and help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher. If you can't figure out how to do it, message me on Facebook or through my website and I'll be happy to walk you through it. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at Audible by using my affiliate link at audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. Not sure where to start? Start with Brene Brown's The Gift of Imperfections or her six-hour recorded workshop, The Power of Vulnerability. This is Eric Tivers reminding you that when you spend time to plan, you will save time that you could spend later. Until next time. Until next time.